Right, good morning. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which in my Bible is headlined, Intelligibility in Worship. So not, so worship that can't be understood. So in my last chapter, Paul is saying that we should seek and pursue the ways of love. And then he comes back around to the other gifts of the Spirit. So he goes, gifts of the Spirit in chapter 12. Love is the most important gift of all chapter 13. But back to the gifts of the Spirit. Read verses 1 to 4. Does that challenge you on how churches or yourself are pursuing the gifts of the Spirit? I'm particularly challenged by Paul's statement in verse 4. He says, people who speak in tongues edify themselves those who prophesy, assuming it's from God, strengthen the whole church. Unless someone interprets the tongue, it is better to prophesy. Now don't don't get it wrong, Paul wants the church to speak in tongues so that everyone can be personally closer to Christ, but he would rather they were close to God helping the whole church than close to God on their own. And Paul spends an awful lot of chapter 14 urging the church to understand that though tongues are good, they must be interpreted, or, if we get some quotes here, verse 7, how will anyone know what tune is being played? He's using a music metaphor. Verse 9, you'll just be speaking at the air. Or verse 11, if I'm a foreigner to that speaker, the speaker is then a foreigner to me. As if to say, it doesn't make sense to me, I don't make sense to him, we're basically foreigners. We are eager for the Spirit's gifts. And in verse 12, Paul says, try to excel in those that build up the church. And like we've discussed in previous chapters, Corinth is filled with members of the church who are disrupting the unity of the believers and were often looking out for themselves, not for everyone else. So it would make sense that Paul is pushing all of the church to seek spiritual gifts that are not mostly personal. Let's read chapter 14, verses 15 to 18. And then let's come back. Paul needs the church to be of one mind. That's like his deepest conviction. If the church is filled with confusion, then if everyone's speaking in strange tongues with no legitimate interpretation, there's no chance of cohesion. And members will begin, um, they might agree, agreeing to things that don't make sense, or they might agree and support things that they don't really understand or actually support. Because what we say yes to is important. And we have a responsibility as the church body, not just the leaders, to support and agree with things we actually understand and agree with. And not to support and agree with things that, well, are kind of, you know, 50% there, but we might not fully comprehend. That's how you get, you know, convinced to do things you probably shouldn't be. And look at verses 23 to 25. And then ask yourself, does this challenge you as an individual and as a Christian in the wider church body? as to our witness to unbelievers. Now, Paul seems to be kind of giving a bit of a nod to Pentecost, as well as perhaps other times in the church when many people were speaking tongues. So at the beginning of Acts, like the, the, the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit and they start speaking in different languages. And some of the listeners come out and they go, they're drunk, they must be off their heads, because everyone is talking in these strange languages. And... It may well not be the sure sign of God for those who are not Christians. It might actually make us all look insane. <laughs> so like, there are people in that crowd, and obviously Peter stands up and addresses them and says, no, 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 we're not, we're not drunk, let me explain. If he hadn't explained, 
if there wasn't an interpretation to go along with all the you know, the spirit's gifts, people may well look at us and go, you're all nuts, rather than look at us and go, God is real. But, Paul says, if we are prophesying, those who visit our congregations may well be convicted of their sins as the secret of their heart is laid bare. Because remember, that prophecy is not just predicting the future. It is speaking the truth in the spirit of the Lord. And that might involve some future predictions. It may involve speaking into the truth of someone's character. It may also be just a bold reminder and challenge to the church of something they may have forgotten or misinterpreted. And the final portion of chapter 14 is instructions on good order in worship. It says everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Now he doesn't mean built up financially, financially or built up famously per se. He means the whole body of believers being encouraged, grown in the spirit, made stronger in their faith in God. So here's a few more quotes from this chapter. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three should speak and someone must interpret, building up. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet because it doesn't lead to any help for the rest of the church. Then he says two or three prophets should speak and the others carefully weigh what is said. Don't just listen to someone prophesy and then go, yes, of course, you have to weigh up what is being said. If a revelation comes to someone sitting down, the first speaker should stop. Nothing here is done in self-interest. No one is speaking for their own benefit. Everything is done for peace and the growth of the church. And in verse 33, Paul says, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. And, And then we get onto some controversy again which I know you all like. Verse 34 and 35. Women should remain silent in churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission. As the law says, if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. It is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Harsh words. Harsh words. But, but, before any of you get angry about Remember the context. The context here is a disunited church with a lot of internal problems, a lot of false teachers and a lot of confusion about how to do things. It is very possible, especially in light of what we thought about in chapter 11, that the women in the church were interrupting and causing distractions. So when Paul says, if they want to inquire, he's not suggesting that they're not being taught. He's actually saying that They're inquiring during the service, and that's causing disruptions. So don't inquire midway through a service. Don't start talking over the speaker, you know, to each other. Ask your husbands at home. So his final verse is, everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Now, I don't believe Paul would tell women not to speak in churches now, Especially because the education of men and women is is across the board, especially in the West, very equally laid. You know, women do a lot better in school than a lot of guys. (laughs) I do believe, though, he would tell anybody who causes disruption not to speak. And if in a culture that's the women, for whatever reason, or if it's new Christians or people under a certain age, you know, or whatever, 
We can't read this passage out of context and apply it exactly the same. This is a very specific church situation. Women were not as educated as the men in the church, in synagogues, they were not allowed to attend the same meeting rooms, and the Greeks, that you know, bastion of democracy, saw women as lesser human beings than men. The sad fact here is that the women would not have known as much, and they wouldn't have been as educated as the men, but were allowed in the church meetings, and that gave them a new opportunity to be alongside the men and learn with them. Now that's not ideal, but that's what's happening. That's what's going on. And it is certainly a step in the right direction. Women weren't pushed out of the meeting room. They were brought in, but told to stop talking. So, what do you think of these passages in light of that context? Do you see them as brutally unfair, outdated, cruel and sexist? Or does that make sense in the context? Is it actually a move towards valuing women? Corinthians has a lot of tricky waters to navigate and none of it's easy and some of you might massively disagree and that's okay. What is important though is that we actually study this stuff in the context and ask these questions. And remember the whole point of this letter isn't to say men are better, women suck. It's actually to say we want you all to be united in the church and at the moment you're not because there are things going on that are causing Cool. I think that's most of the controversial stuff from Corinthians done. So next up, a less controversial chapter.